We are live. Welcome to Sunday morning. Hope you're having a great day. Beautiful day in Oklahoma. The south wind's blowing like a monkey again and apparently blowing up a storm, so we're looking forward to that. I, um, hopefully it's got some hail in it and I'm ready to go to work. I want to uh, I want to share a message with you this morning that I, I actually, and I'll give some credit here in a little while, um, but one of the local church where I attend, um, the Cimarron Worship Center here in Perkins, uh, Pastor Sean preached a message not too long ago, um, and, I, and I struggle. I, I, I mean, these pastors, I just have to apologize to them because half the time it looks like I'm playing on my phone while they're preaching and, and I'm taking notes. I, there's something they've said or a scripture passage they've used or something that struck me, and, and it's not that they're not doing a good job preaching the message they're preaching. I, I just, it hits me in a different way. Um, so I, I'll take a jot a few notes down, and I, I took a couple of notes from him um, on the message that he was preaching because the subject matter was something I really like, and uh, and then I, I I've created another message out of it. But I want I'll uh, I'll give him some props as we get along in here as well. But um, we're we're the message the title today is the cloak of Elijah, so we'll be going to First Kings, First Kings uh, chapter seventeen. If anybody wants to follow along. But um, first of all, just want to thank you guys so much for your support. Uh, I, I know that, that it seems like a, a constant that, that you're being bombarded with somebody in need, somebody needing something. Um, Ministry is no different. I mean, we, we have to have finances to function. Um, most of the time, I finance most everything Living Light Outdoors has done over the years um, just through tithing into it and working You know, as I work. But... Um, this last couple of years has been really good because we've had a lot of, of an increase in support. Um, Living Light Outdoors doesn't really require a whole lot of money to operate the way we want to, but we're, we're hoping to increase that operational level um, because we want to increase what we're doing. We want to increase our missions giving for one thing. Um, and I, I sent out an email, and I think it's on our, on our page here now at the header part of our page uh, where there's a picture of me and my lovely wife. Um, you can read that, and it, it kind of gives you a, a breakdown of what our budget looks like for this year and where, where our goals are. Now, we're already into this year. We're already putting money out every month, and then we're going to be putting more money out every month. So we do need your support. We, we appreciate the support that we get um, from, from our, uh, our listener base and, and pray that, that God's blessing you for that. I, I know that his word says that in the same measure that you give, he'll give back to you, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. And I, I believe in abundance. I believe that God will give abundance to those who give out of their heart. Um, it, it's not, uh, I mean, he, he commands us to give 10% of our first of our first fruits. Um, and I know a lot of people struggle with that. There's a lot of teachings on that. And I don't, I've never really taught on, on tithing. But, but basic, the basic principle of tithing is that you tithe to your storehouse. So you tithe to wherever it is that you're being fed from. If that's your home church, you tithe to your home church. If that's, if that's a a, you know, a a mission, a missionary like me, an evangelist like me, that that, that I'm your storehouse. If I'm where you're being fed, and I, and I know I've had a lot of people tell me that I'm I'm their internet pastor, um, which is awesome. I I mean I, I enjoy this and I love doing what I do. But if, if that's the case, and and you you feel the need to tithe, you and God need to come to terms with that. But I, but you need to tithe where He feels and, and you feel like He's telling you to give. And I guarantee you, as you give whether it's to me, a local ministry, or another mission, as you give by the, by, the, by the heart, 
by the desires that God puts in your heart, he'll return to you with that, with that same measure, pressed down, shaking together, and running over. I used to tell people, well, I, I need some running over in my life, not by a truck. You know, I need that overabundance sometimes. And, and uh, so keep that in mind. We thank you for what you're doing. We thank you for all the gifts that we get uh, and those that faithfully support us and praying over us. I know there's many of you that just pray over us, and we so appreciate that. So needed. The prayer ministry is very is very relevant. It's it's a must. If we don't have that, then we're we're really going to struggle. So keep that in mind. We got a lot of things going on. A lot of messages coming out. God's doing crazy stuff in me. I'm I'm I've started a new page. If you haven't found it on here yet. It's it's I've, I've invited most of of our people that we know to it, but it's called the mindless wanderings of a dreamer. Uh, I just opened this new page. Um, it's it's simply for the poetry that God continues to pour through me. I don't know why He's doing it. I don't know why He chose me, but I'm writing it and then I'm putting it on here. So um, it, it it most all all of it has some sort of a message. Um, it, it's got some sort of a tie-in back to Christ, um, but it has to do with, with how life and, and what we deal with in life in a poetic format. So check that out, if you will. Um, on Facebook, it's The Mindless Wanderings of a Dreamer is what it's called. Um, also looking at actually putting things in a book at some point. So who knows? I may become a writer as well. I love to write. With that, let me jump into this. The Cloak of Elijah. Now, there is no clear background given concerning the prophet Elijah. He, he comes on the scene back in 1 Kings chapter 17 when he is introed, I love this, as Elijah the Tishbite. Not Tickbite, Tishbite. He gives a warning of an impending severe drought so catastrophic that the dew will not even form on the surface of the earth. This warning comes because of King Ahab and his queen, Jezebel, they are at the end of a very long line of Israel's kings who have done evil in the sight of the Lord. They've, they've, they've turned their back on God, basically. So let's pick this up. First Kings chapter 17. Now Elijah, who was born, I'm sorry. Now Elijah, who was from Tishbe, Tishbe, I don't know how to pronounce that, a Tishbite, um, in Gilead, told King Ahab, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, the God I serve, there will be no dew or rain during the next few years until I, until I give the word. Then the Lord said to Elijah, go to the east and hide in the Kareth Brook, or by the Kareth Brook near where, the, where it enters the Jordan River. Drink from the brook and eat what the ravens bring you, for I have commanded them to bring you food. So Elijah did as the Lord told him, and he camped beside the Kareth Brook, east of the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat each morning and evening, and he drank from the brook. I, I have to wonder about that ravens bringing you meat. Um, I mean, you know, my mind goes to armadillo, uh, possum, you know, stuff that's been run over on, you know, maybe it was a chariot run, you know, and killed an armadillo and the ravens bring him that to eat I, I don't know i mean maybe god's doing something cool there i know he's doing something cool can you imagine a raven bringing you food uh, i mean can you be about imagine being hit out somewhere in the mountains and and the animals are bringing you food to eat and water to drink and wow what a deal uh, anyway sidetrack but after a while the brook dried up and there was no rainfall anywhere in the land now throughout this chapter we see elijah following every detail of God's instruction. 
the story of the of the widow and her son comes out later in this chapter. They're about to starve, but through the obedience, her through her obedience, God's provision comes. And this same woman, after seeing the miracle, watches her son die. So she out of calls out to Elijah again in the latter verses of this chapter with the story of Elijah calling out to God and the boy was revived and he brought brought back from the dead. And you can find all that in the latter parts of chapter 17. When you move into chapter 18, we find Elijah again in the midst of God's miraculous works. As the story of water poured over the altar and the sacrifice and he, he built a moat around this whole this whole deal and, and all of Jezebel's, or the, the, the prophets of Baal basically, had been out there doing all their magic magic tricks and everything, and then Elijah, Elijah runs last, and he just he pours water over to everything, you know, soaks the the sacrifice and the wood and the altar, and builds a moat and fills it full of water, and he does all this crazy stuff, and then and then he calls on God to send down fire from heaven, and it consumes everything, even the prophets of Baal. I mean, it licks up the water in the moat. It, it burns up the rocks. It burns up the sacrifice. I mean, God's fire from heaven. He calls it, I mean, miraculous stuff going on in verse in chapter 18. As it ends, the man of God goes out to pray that the rain will return. And the servant is sent out seven times to look toward the ocean. So that the servant climbs a hill and looks towards the ocean. He comes back uh, six times. He comes back and said, there's nothing out there. Elijah would send him back out. Go look again. Now there's nothing out there. Go look again. There's nothing out there. On the seventh time, he reports, I see a cloud about the size of a man's hand rising from the water. So a cloud about the size of a man's hand rising up from the water. Elijah makes the announcement to hurry for the rains are coming. What an interesting thing. You see a cloud the size of a man's hand after years of drought and the cry out is the rain's coming. First Kings chapter nineteen. This is where it all starts to get good. I love this part. Chapter one, verse verse or chapter nineteen, verse one. When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way that he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent his this message to Elijah: May the God strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you have killed them. Elijah was afraid. It's verse verse three. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. Now wait a minute. This boy doesn't see a lot of stuff, but it says here Elijah was afraid and fled, fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and he prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. He said. anybody ever said that? I've had enough, God. I'm it. It's it. I'm done. I'm out. I'm over it. I'm done. Anybody ever said that to God? Maybe 120,000 times? I don't know. Um, but he said, I'm, I'm done, Lord. Take my life. For I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Then he lay down and slept under this broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around, and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate, and he drank, and he lay down again. We find in verse 7, Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, Get up and eat. Eat some more, for the journey ahead will be much for you. So he got up, and he ate, and he drank, and food that he gave him, enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. There he came to a cave where he spent the night. Now, wait a minute. After everything this guy's seen, 
I mean, it, it, you, you go back and and and, and it literally, um, where was that? In, I think in the first, maybe the first page, it talked about how how he had seen so many things that that he had done, that God had done, all these miracles, all this crazy stuff, but yet now he's hiding in a cave. He's scared of a woman coming after him. Scared enough that he runs and he hides. Check this out. The Lord speaks to Elijah. But the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Verse 10, um, coming back into, into chapter 19, verse 10, Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they're going to kill me too. He's thinking he's the only prophet in, in the world left. He's the only man of God left. And, and, and now they're coming after him to kill him too. So in his mind, life's over. You know, ministry's done. Ain't no sense going on from here. Verse 11, go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after, after the, the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak, and he went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And a voice said, What are you doing here, Elijah? God calls him out, and he gives him instruction. And now we're getting to the part I like the most. We're getting to this part where, where he calls out Elisha. Now catch this little detail hidden in the instructions found here in verse 16. It said, Then, then anoint Jehu, grandson of uh, Nimshi, I have a hard time with these biblical names, to be the king of Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from the town of Abel-Meholah, to replace you as my prophet. Now, I find this very interesting. I mean, I, I understand the, the concept of, of training someone up to take my place. I, I, I see the biblical principle in that. Um, I used to, I used to, <laughs> I used to laugh at a very well-known youth minister who um, wrote several books and um, was part of a huge ministry. And one of the things that he said always bothered me he always he, he made the, the statement that I should be training up my replacement and that always bothered me as a youth pastor I thought you know I'm pouring into these kids everything I have everything God pours into me I'm pouring back out but I don't I mean why would I want one of them to replace me why, why would it not be better to train someone up and send out so that there's more of me. It made more sense. So I'll just throw that nugget in there for free. But here we here we see, after all this stuff, God's given him instruction to do all these things. There's several instructions in there. I just picked verse 16 and how it says that the next king of Israel is being, being anointed by the prophet Elijah, and then he is to anoint Elisha to replace him. Uh, that's interesting. Did did 
I wonder if, if it was because of disobedience from his fear, or, or was it simply time to train up that one to carry on the work of the Lord? Now, I'm going to go with that because as you see the journey of Elisha and Elijah, um, I believe there's a training up going on here. Elisha had to learn how to carry that cloak of Elijah. He had to see it. He had to live it. He had to breathe it uh, for a period of time. And, and that is what ministry is about. It's, it's, it's being raised up. It's being trained up to be sent out. Not necessarily in this case, it was as a replacement. But but to me, it's an extension. You know, as, as I train someone up, I've got a youth pastor right now who's serving, um, who was one of my kids, one of my youth. I've had several of those throughout the years that, that are that are serving in different capacities in ministry. They're an extension of me. They didn't replace me. Now, I think that's a beautiful thing. Verse, uh, 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 18 to 22 is where we're headed now. So Elijah went out and he found Elisha, son of Shaphat, plowing a field. There were 12 teams of oxen in the field. That's a big, that's a big field. That's a, that's a big operation for that time frame. Think about that. Uh, I mean, around here, you, you know, a 12-bottom plow ain't that big a deal. But there's bigger ones because of the operation. But think about that. In that time frame, there, there's 12 plow bottoms out there being drugged. There's 12 pairs of oxen dragging a plow in the field. That's a big operation. It's a big farming operation. There's 12 teams of oxen plowing, and, and, and Elijah or Elisha was plowing with the 12th team. Elijah went over to him, and he threw his cloak across his shoulders, simply walked away. Verse 20 said, Elisha left the oxen standing there and ran after Elijah, and he said to him, First, let me go and kiss my father and my mother goodbye, and then I will go with you. So Elijah, Elisha knew what that meant and knew when he dropped his cloak on him, he knew there was a calling being offered to him. And, and, and he was excited about it, but let me, go, let me go say goodbye to the family first. Elijah replied, go on back, but think about what I have done to you. So, so in, that, in other words, Elisha's, Elijah's really wanting Elisha to understand the magnitude of what he's done here. He's literally saying, you, sir, are going to replace me. You're going to become a prophet of God in my stead. That, I mean, Elijah was, uh, obviously, you can see what he's done. That story of the, the altar of Baal being burnt down, I, I imagine, went long ways. You know, all of these things that he's done, I'm sure, have traveled through the grapevine around the countryside. So Elijah, by this time, has, has got to be well-known as a man of God, as a prophet of God. And now he's picking Elisha to come after him, to follow him. That's, that's, to me, that's huge. Verse 21 says, So Elisha returned to his oxen, and he slaughtered them. He used the wood from the plow to build a fire to roast their flesh. He passed around the meat to the townspeople, and they all ate. And then he went with Elijah as his assistant. Interesting thought. Now, this, this is where I want to bring something into play from Pastor Sean Pitchland from Seminole Worship Center. I love how he said this. Smoked his oxen on an old plow wood, gave it to the town folk, and as Sean describes in this passage, verse, verse, verses 18 to 22, while well, back in his description that this event was quite comical because the, what, the, the, true coming, um, the, the truth coming out of this, especially from an Okie's perspective, from an Okie mindset, as he said, if you build a fire and butcher a beef 
and you cook it up and invite the town folk out to eat it with you, that, my friends, is a barbecue. So keep that in mind. Here, here's Elisha who is, he's, he's returned to his ox, he's slaughtered them. He used the wood from the plow to build a fire to roast the, their flesh. He passed around the meat to the townspeople. They all ate, and they went with Elijah to be his assistant. He used his only means of making his living. You get you catching this? This is man, this is huge. I'm not sure what about his choice of wood. Um, a, a, a plow, that wood's probably got dirt ground into it, and. Uh, uh, leftovers from what comes out of an oxen, you know. I mean, there's stuff in that wood, and he takes that whole plow wood. It doesn't really sound like good smoker wood to me, but I guess maybe if you think about it, maybe it's better than gopher wood. I mean, you know, maybe. But he used his only means of making his living. He burned his plow. He killed the oxen. He's not coming back. To that way of life that 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 right there to me is huge you need to understand that for, for him to make that statement to go back and, and literally you take destroy and use as a sacrifice his very means of making a living that was how he that was how he was part of that family that was that was his part of being in that farm family you know he drove a plow he handled equipment he handled oxen he worked for his place there you know and now he's destroyed it. He, he's literally sacrificed his ox, burned up his plow. He, he's not coming back to that way of life. That's the point I want you to get. When God calls you out, there are times he calls you in such a way, and I'm going to share something else with you. When, when God called me into the ministry, I had spent my whole life I say my whole life, from high school, I'd spent all my time in my adult life doing auto body work, painting cars, running a body shop, fixing stuff. Um, I did commercial painting. I, I did a lot of things back in that day. But my career uh, revolved around the auto body industry. Um, I served as a salesman, outside salesman, for a, a jobber store selling automotive paint and equipment and, and supplies for 10 years. Um, probably was in line to own the company at, at, had I stayed on down the road. At, at the 10-year mark, actually, 10-year anniversary of that event, I left there because God is, I, I knew God was calling me into ministry. Had no idea what was up ahead of me. I assumed I would get plugged into my local church and be a minister there. That, that was my plan. That, that was my plan. So I left that 10-year that career possibility of owning this store I, I had I had my own body shop at my house I had all my, my body shop equipment tools, sanders um, air compressor, paint guns I mean everything I needed to operate a body shop and when, when, we, when we realized that God was calling us out of our, of our comfort zone we were, we were leaving town we were not going to be in town any longer we actually took a first position in Durango, Colorado. That's a whole other story, but I sold everything I had. I sold all my shop equipment. I sold my tools. I sold my compressor. I, I kept some hand tools. I kept a welder. I, you know, just stuff that a person needs to fix things around your house. 
but I sold everything that could make me a living. And, and I did it on purpose and I did it with a purpose. I didn't want anything in my way of trusting God to supply my need as I was answering his call. So, so you see my point? I sold everything that I could return to in case it didn't work out. And oh boy, had I not known anything coming, I might not have sold all that stuff. Because life wasn't easy in ministry. It's never easy in ministry. There's, there's a challenge involved in it. But I sold all of my stuff. And, and, and instead of, of holding on to something I could come back to, I, I felt like it was important for me. And here's, here's, here's something I believe is why. And I'm going to try to argue this story. A year and a half, almost a year and a half, into my first youth pastor. We'd, we'd sold our home. We sold family land. I sold all my body shop equipment. Uh, I got rid of everything to return to, basically. We didn't have a home to come home to. We didn't have any land to come home to and build a house on. We got rid of all of it. We sold it all. I mean, we, we lock, stock, and barrel moved to Colorado. I had family here in Oklahoma, but I no longer had any possessions here. A year, just over a year into the into the ministry in Durango, and my pastor, Stan Formby, and I love that man to death. I learned so much from him. He called me in his office and very sorrowfully told me, he said, that the church finances have fell. We can no longer keep you. We can no longer pay you to be here. You're free to go. You, you've done everything I've asked you to do, but I'm having to let you go. He didn't want me to go, but he couldn't pay me to stay. So he knew I was going to have to make some decisions. I was devastated. I didn't know what to do. Um, I, I, I walked out of that office. I went out and got my car, and I, and I cried, and I cried. and I, I, I didn't know what to do. I mean, oh God, I, I mean, what, what do I do now? I can't go home. I don't have a home to go home to. What, what do I do? I, I was so distraught because I simply didn't know what to do. And, and through a series of things happening, I generated support. Um, I, actually, we were, we were able to generate about half my salary. And, and when the deacon board and, and pastor saw what I had done by my desire to stay, the, the board and, and him decided that if, if I could generate half my salary, they could cover the other half. So I stayed on board there and, and, and through another season until God showed me it was actually time for us to go. And then the pastor and I both agreed that it, you know, my season there was done. But something that happened in the process of that, I'm standing on a platform during worship center in Durango, Colorado, during the worship service, and God asked me a question. He said, what do you call success? Well, I ask you that same question. In ministry, when, when we think of ministry, what do we call success? When, when we look at a successful ministry, how are we coming up with that equation. See, in my mind, success was growth. Um, I didn't have it. I, I didn't see a youth group grow in Durango. Um, which it, it was a challenge. We Our kids struggled there. There was a lot of things going on. And it was a difficult time. And, and it was a challenging time for all of us. But, but uh, to me, success in ministry is growth. It's seeing tithing increase. It's seeing 
bodies increase. It's seeing members increase. It's it's seeing the, the church growing in, in expanse. That, to me, is successful ministry. And and for two weeks, I chewed on this question, what do you call success, that God had asked me. Again, two weeks later, I'm standing on Sunday morning on the platform and work during um, Sunday morning worship, and God answered that question. He said, that's not how I measure success. I measure success by your obedience to my calling. It changed me forever. I no longer was focused on, on simple growth as, as success in ministry. I, I became solely focused on being obedient to what he was asking me to do to the best of my ability. It's not that I was the best at that, but, but I gave everything I had to becoming an obedient servant. I became everything I had to becoming a servant. I developed a teaching out of that very ministry that I still use today and I still teach it today. It's actually on our website. It's becoming an armor bearer. There, there, it's a series that I taught on becoming an armor bearer. And, and I, I believe it's huge because I believe that's exactly what God has called us to being a servant, is, is becoming that armor bearer, becoming that servant of God. And, and, and I challenge you to go find those, those uh, either the audios, I know they're on our podcast, um, they're on here, uh, but they're also on our website. And look at that series and watch that series and, and take from that series of, of what it means to become an armor bearer. And, and through that, it shaped the rest of my ministry all the way to where I am today. We've walked through many fires. There, there's been many challenges throughout ministerial life, um, lots of which that <laughs> I didn't see coming. Um, you know, but God has sustained me through these. And, and there's always going to be challenges. We're always going to be faced with challenges. Look at, at Elijah. Elijah was a prophet of God. Look at the things that he faced. He was fearful. He, he, he was scared. He, you know, he, his human nature came through in this. But, but when we go on, we, you know, we, he carries on to, to create and, and call out his own successor. And then that successor follows him. And I, I didn't look up the, the history there. I don't know how long down the road it was before Elisha took Elijah's place. But the coolest part, when, when Elijah was, was taken into heaven on a whirlwind of fire, he dropped his cloak on Elijah because Elijah asked for a double portion, a double portion of what Elijah walked in, Elisha wanted to walk in. And God granted that, and he walked in power. He walked in power because he was obedient. He walked in power and, and success because of his obedience to God. Success comes through our obedience to him. The results of your obedience, that's what's, that's what's going to come through. The results of your obedience to him will be your success story. Amen. God bless you guys. I, I hope you've taken something from this. This is a, I love this story. Uh, I love the way Pastor Pixlin brought that out um, I, about the barbecue. I thought that was fun. Uh, I've had a great time writing this message and, and been excited to bring it to you. Um, I hope you take from it. Listen to it again. Listen to it multiple times. Take everything you can out of this message because ultimately the, 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 it, it compacts and it, it builds from the very word go. You know, It starts in the beginning and it comes all the way to the end about being successful. Obedience, being obedient to Christ being obedient to his calling. What is his calling in your life? You know, is it to be just a church member serving him and, and, and worshiping him and paying tithes 
I mean, there's a kings and priests principle going on in this. You know, some are called to be kings, some are called to be priests. Now, that's a whole other story, a whole other message. And I may preach that one day, but but just keep in mind that 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 Elijah's calling, he was successful only because of his obedience. Even when he became fearful, even, even when he ran from God, when God spoke to him, he was obedient. And he came back just exactly the way God he followed the instructions to the T. That's all we have to do. Amen. God bless you guys. Check out the website. Follow us on here. Um, support us if you can. We love you. We thank you. And we will catch up with you guys again real, real soon. Uh, Wednesday night, we will be on uh, Battle Ready 6 of our teaching on that. So uh, plan to tune in with me on Wednesday. And uh, we'll, we'll carry on from there. And uh, we'll see you then. If not, I'll see you next Sunday. God bless you.